You're listening to the Checklist Legal Podcast, digital thinking for lawyers. Hello and welcome to the Checklist Legal Podcast. I am Verity White, a corporate lawyer and contract productivity enthusiast. Checklist Legal is a blog, a podcast and an ebook, all designed to help you as a lawyer or legal professional craft contracts your clients love, design innovative tools to increase access to justice, develop new skills as a T-shaped professional and supercharge your personal and professional productivity. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 12 of the Checklist Legal Podcast, where we're having a look at what's next for the new season of the Checklist Legal Podcast. And you'll also hear a live recording of a presentation I did at the Legal Innovation and Tech Fest in Sydney in June 2018. And I'm also going to let you know where you can meet me in person in the coming months at a few different locations. Uh, First up, where to from here for the Checklist Legal Podcast? Well, completing this first season of the podcast has been a lot of fun and I learned a lot. It did take a long time to wrap up uh, after doing a big flurry of activity at the first, uh, getting the first few bits and pieces done for the podcast. Uh, But it does get lonely creating these episodes by myself. So in the next season, I'm going to switch to an interview style show and I'll chat with amazing lawyers and legal professionals to talk about specific areas of legal practice and innovation. Each episode, I will look at one of our key topics that will help you to create useful and usable contracts your clients love. Look at how to design innovative tools to increase access to justice across Australia and beyond. And we'll investigate ways to develop new skills as a T-shaped professional. So your legal career has longevity in this changing industry. And of course, we will look at new and classic ways you can supercharge your personal and professional productivity to get the most out of the time that you put into the things you love. What we will keep from the first season of the podcast is that overall mission to keep the podcast really practical and leave you with something you can action in your own work or personal life. I would really love to hear from you to know what the questions are you have about lawyers or legal practice. What are you seeing in your own organizational law firm that frustrates you? Where are clients letting, where are, sorry, where are lawyers letting clients down? Let me know your thoughts on the law and legal profession by emailing me at verity at checklistlegal.com. Contact me on social media uh, and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Now, I am lucky enough to be presenting at a few different conferences in the coming months. So if you are in Madrid in Spain in May, I'll be at the European Conference for the International Association for Contract and Commercial Management or IACCM for short. And in July, I'll be attending the Asia Pacific IACCM Conference, which is in Sydney, Australia. I love the IACCM. It is that organization which first introduced me to visual contracts and legal information design. And these are now some of my biggest passions. I'm really excited about the quality of the different speakers that will be at each of these events and would love to chat to you if you are there. 
And also in June, I'll be presenting in Sydney again at the Legal Innovation Festival. And I'm talking about redesigning contracts for readability, usability, and trust. Now, this Legal Innovation Festival is a great event, which I attended and presented at last year. So I am really excited to head there again this year. And I'm hoping to bring you some interviews from the event or from the ICCM events as well, and share my key takeaways from the sessions there. Links to these events are in the show notes for this episode, so you can head to checklistlegal.com forward slash podcast to find those. And today we have a special live recording from the Legal Innovation and Tech Fest in Sydney in June 2018, where I did a presentation on how to be a legal intrapreneur in your organization. Now you can follow along with the presentation materials uh, if you head to checklistlegal.com forward slash legal tech fest or one word legal tech fest. Here is legal entrepreneur basics aka how to take an innovation from idea to testing to business case to roll out from the 2018 legal innovation and tech fest. Hello, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I hope you're uh, sitting comfortably and you had an enjoyable lunch, sheltering inside from the fine Sydney weather. Now, we are, the next session is going to be delivered by Verity White uh, from, from Telstra. And she's going to be talking about uh, how to turn an innovative idea into reality, uh, which is something that... Um, struck me this morning. Uh, last night as I was uh, going to the bathroom, I realized that the door handle was a bit wobbly and I had this idea that I needed to fix the door handle. And this morning as I was the last one in the house, I shut the bathroom door behind me and the door handle fell off the other side. Uh, uh, and I was turning the door handle uh, hopelessly, but I did manage to get out with a tweezer and a, and a sense of panic. So luckily I'm here today. But um, turning ideas into reality is very important, and it's not necessarily easy. Um, and so Verity is going to, to take us through what uh, she's learned through her experiences at Telstra. Uh, she's happy to take questions during the presentation or afterwards. And a little-known fact about Verity is that while she was studying, um, she did, in fact, get a job uh, producing and hosting uh, local radio so that she could interview bands so that she got on the door list and got to see the bands for free using uh, initiative. So without further ado, I'd like uh, you all to welcome Verity to the stage. Thank you very much. Thank you. I don't know if I can help you with your toilet door, though. Um, hello, everybody. I'm Verity. I'm from Telstra in-house legal team. Is there any other in-house legal teams here? In-house lawyers, yes. And private practice lawyers? Any private practice? Okay. It's quite a few in-house. And is there any uh, anyone here from legal tech companies, tech startup, tech software? No? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, well, we should get a round of applause. Thank you for all your free pens and, uh, and all the free drinks. We'll buy your products, definitely. <laughs> Uh, is there any solo lawyers or any lawyers who are the only legal team, only person in their team for a solo practitioners? Yes? Okay. And who's in a team that you know, has less than 10 people? Less than 10? Less than 50? 
More than 50? More than 100? More than 150? Okay, some quite big legal teams here. So Telstra legal team has about 170 lawyers and I'm in the Legal Innovation Forum, which is really exciting. We have a really a big innovation culture at Telstra. And I've, for the last 12 months, with an amazing colleague of mine, Melanie Thomas, have co-chaired the automation stream of the Innovation Forum, and just recently have swapped over into the visual contracting stream of the Innovation Forum, which is really exciting, looking at different ways to make contracts more readable. But along this kind of innovation journey from working in a team with 170 lawyers, Previously, I was at a team with uh, eight lawyers and much different scale of innovation and much different approach needed, but I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And so what I'd like to talk to you about today is some of the roadblocks that have come up uh, on that road to innovation and perhaps some ways that we can tackle those roadblocks and hopefully you won't make the same mistakes that I've made and you can get around those roadblocks a lot more quickly. So what is an entrepreneur? Entrepreneurs are the same as entrepreneurs, except they're doing it internally within a business. And I love this definition, this thought of taking hands-on responsibility for an innovation and just driving it through the business. So that's what a lot of us are doing when we're coming up with new ideas, taking that hands-on responsibility and driving it through the business. The road to innovation could look like this in a perfect world where you go straight from idea to testing to business case to roll out. Sorry, you can't really see over there. Um, but it, in reality, it doesn't actually go that way. You often go backwards and forwards and you go from ideas to testing to testing to ideas and, and refine it. And it's a winding road. It's not an easy road. And I'd like to understand more about what uh, the roadblocks are that everyone in the room has had so we can try and get a sense of where we're all at. So if you get your phones out and go to http et that one up there, and we can have a look and see where, what roadblocks we're at, and you'll be able to vote. So for me, this is the only person that's voted so far, me. Go back. Oh, sorry. I got excited. Sorry, guys. So for me, the, the number one roadblock at the moment that I'm facing is no time don't have time to innovate. It's kind of this pesky thing called work keeps getting in the way. We work on these projects, day-to-day -day projects. Has everyone got that? So you should be able to... Oh, votes are coming in. Very good. Few for time. Not enough money. Too many ideas. Yes, that's a good one. A few more moments to vote. Who's not experiencing roadblocks? We should be talking to those people. Okay. Okay, so um, I think especially after the last, you know, today and yesterday, everyone will be having so many ideas and it's a massive, been a massive problem for me too. So many ideas, so many shiny things to chase down. What, how do you focus your idea? How do you um, prioritise the different types of ideas that you have? And so we'll try and touch on that today. No time, I think, is a massive one as well, uh, and whether or not we can find more time by presenting a really strong business case to the people who are 
in charge of our time if we can go to our managers and ask for more time or to the executive team and ask for more time. So we'll try and touch on some of those today, but that's, that's, that is what I was expecting. Hopefully we can touch on some of those issues. Okay, so ideas. We've all got heaps of ideas right now. So many ideas, maybe some scary ones. Maybe uh, we're a bit scared that we don't know enough about blockchain or we, we're not quite sure where to start. So uh, how can we innovate with intention and make sure that we are innovating strategically on the right thing and spending our time correctly? So, for example, I've done some innovation where it didn't even need to happen. A client's come to me and said, I've got, I need a letter. Can you write me a letter? I'm like, okay, cool, I can do that. And you know what? I can automate it. I can put it into this document um, automation tool and then you'll be able to scale it out and send it. You know, you can send it whenever you want. And the client's like, that's fine. And I've spent two hours doing it and it looks pretty, but actually we never really send that letter that often. It only happens once a year. So it didn't actually need automation. So how do you innovate intentionally? to make sure that you're innovating on the right things at the right time. So there's a few ways you can narrow your focus. So picking an area to play in, knowing your limits, and then selecting a type of innovation. So to break that down a bit more, picking an area to play in, you might decide that actually we don't have any money to buy new technology or new tech. Sorry to the tech company. Uh, Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. My apologies. <laughs> um, so maybe you don't have any money to buy new technology, so you might just want to stick with the technology that you have. And that might just mean learning more about the features that it has. So if you've only got Microsoft Word, then you might want to just investigate how you can build better templates within Microsoft Word. And there's lots of ways that you can do that and go for incremental innovation and narrow your focus down to that so you don't worry about the noise of potential new technology. You can know your limits, so you can understand a bit more about what you already have in your company in terms of technology that you might be able to tweak a little bit. Where you can get new technology, you might want to have a look at uh, where that data is stored that goes through that technology and whether or not your IT department is okay with where that's stored, which is really important because there's no point going off on a tangent, which we've done a couple of times with new applications and getting really excited about something and then finding out that the IT department is not too happy about it. Uh, so you can work with your IT department to get really friendly with them so you know where, and where you can and where you can't play. That is also helping you to narrow down your ideas. And you'll obviously see results faster if you're going within your current technology stack. You can pick a type of innovation. When you first get started, you might just be excited to do new stuff. Doing new stuff is awesome. It's lots of fun and it's, and it's exciting. But then you might want to start to get a bit more fancy with your innovation. And there's different strategic types of innovation that you can make. So you might want to look at something like swarm innovation. And we've, uh, we've had the team from the legal forecast here. You might want to get them involved in your organisation to run a hackathon. It's kind of outsourcing innovation in that way. You might want to do some follow the leader innovation where you uh, pick a particular leader in your field or industry and you see what they've done and they've done all the hard work for you and maybe then you'll just uh, do the same innovation and you won't be the first one but you'll get some of the same benefits as well. So you can thin slice down the type of innovation so that you can prioritise your ideas. So if you've got, you know, hopefully everybody from the last couple of days has got a big list of problems that they want to solve, a big list of ideas that they have of things they'd like to try to try and make the legal world a better place. And hopefully you're going for quantity, not quality. Try not to uh, 
um, second guess yourself, just get all those ideas down. But once we've got the ideas down, it's really important that we do the work to prioritise which ones to spend our time on because we want to make sure that we are executing on really good ideas and not doing what I've done in the past, which is innovating for the sake of innovating, something that didn't need innovating. <laughs> so it's time for us to prioritise our ideas. And this is, it's hard, it's, it's not easy to do um, when you're very excited about ideas and maybe you just, you've got really passionate about one, but it is important work to do. So we're going from idea and then we're going to do some testing. And we'll probably go round and round again, but that's okay. But it is important to do the testing. So when it comes to testing, a lot of the stuff that is really easy to do can get overlooked. And uh, there's three simple, really simple tests that we can do when we're having a look at testing an idea for an innovation. The first one is self-test. And yes, it might be that you build a tool or you um, think of an innovation but it's about building it for yourself first and testing it and being really uh, kind of strict on yourself. How long did that task take before? How long does it take after? And writing that down, observing and reporting on yourself because the worst thing you can do is pass off an innovation or a new thing to someone else and then they're spotting quite easy to see mistakes in it. So you've got to get that self-testing section right. And then it's team testing. So we heard from Andrew Vorster about gathering a team of rebels. Get those rebels from your legal team, from your organisation, and getting them to help you test it so that you do get that diversity of thinking and they can spot things that you didn't see and make it better. And again, you're observing and reporting. So get the metrics on what they're spotting from taking metrics. Take the time and have a look and measure it and compare it before and after. And then end user testing. So really important to find some soft, uh, friendly end users that you can test with. And then again, pass them the tool, the innovation, observe and report, have a look at how they're using it. And don't tell them how to use it, but to watch them using it and interacting with it. And if they have questions about how, how it works, to note those down, tweak it, go back to testing. So those are some three tests that we can do that are really basic, but they often don't get done. And the reason why we're doing this is because we really want to get metrics. We want to get some numbers, and that's what we're testing for so we can prioritise our ideas. And so when you've got numbers, that's when it's time to get under the spreadsheets. So we need to take those numbers and put them into some form of, some, some way that we can um, allocate them towards those ideas and then prioritise the ideas. Now, a word on spreadsheets. I'm not an expert at spreadsheets or Excel. I do, um, I, I've tried to make some, I tried to find some that were a lot better than this and uh, there could be some that are out there. I'm happy for you to send them to me and let me know about them. Uh, so these are my ones. Uh, apologies for the basicness of them, but uh, I couldn't find any other types of legal spreadsheets. So you can always get out your phone and, and calculator and, and follow along if you want to. Whether we like it or not, one of the things that we're always measured on is how long, how many legal hours does it take to do a particular task. So it's for in-house legal teams, I think the um, ACC benchmark survey said that we spend about 75% of our in-house budgets on lawyers. So we always have to measure that. And then we have a look and we think about how long does it take to do, or how many times per week is that particular task done? Pretty easy, do the sums. What's the average hourly rate of a lawyer? 
obviously the uh, private practice lawyers will be a bit higher than the lowly in-house lawyers, but um, whatever the rate is there. And then we have a look at what happens afterwards. Now this doesn't have to be kind of world Olympic record timing keeping. It can be quite basic and an estimate to start with, especially if you're just in the testing phase and you're just wanting to say, if we could save this much or if we could get it down to half an hour or maybe we want to get rid of lawyers altogether. So we've got some really basic metrics and then we put that into this spreadsheet. And so from the, just those four pieces of data, we end up getting these 30 different insights into this template spreadsheet, uh, which when you've got numbers in a spreadsheet, what's amazing about Excel is that it can turn those numbers into a graph. And so then you can take the graph, you can take the numbers and turn those into a graph to tell a story. And it's quite an interesting way to show the value of an innovation when you can talk to something going from this to this. So it's quite a, I think it's a unique way to be able to tell a story in a way that we haven't necessarily told it before. And that's what I love about using those spreadsheets because they can make visuals. But I know what you're thinking, it's not always about saving money. And it's not, because we also need to think about ourselves as lawyers, whether or not we're satisfied with that particular task. So there's this concept of a task satisfaction index where we self-report on how much value we think we're adding to that particular task, how much skill we think we're adding, legal skill, is it administrative skill that's being used here or is it uh, actual legal skill? And how much we enjoy doing that task, how much do we like um, doing that particular legal task? And then doing that uh, before and then assessing it afterwards and seeing the difference to see if we've improved it which is a really good way if you've got employee engagement issues in the business or in your firm of measuring whether or not those tasks are satisfying. Process time is another one we can look at. So going from go to woe and then comparing the difference and I think there was some discussion about that at the panel this morning. If we've got this much free time now, how many more deals can we help you with? How much more can we get done for, for the business? What can we put that extra time towards? So different conversations that we can have for the business and hopefully try and find some more time in order to innovate and do the things that we want to get done. Because all of this can be done at a desk. This is another one that I'm really liking to assess the impact of different types of ideas. So pretty colours, always a good start. But then you can decide on your prioritisation factors. So the bottom four there we've just pulled out of the spreadsheets that we were looking at previously. The top four, you can decide for yourself. So I've chosen idea alignment with strategy, and that might be my team's strategy, it might be my company's strategy, it could be my client's strategy. Then having a look at simplicity. How easy is this particular idea to roll out? How economical is it? Is it cheap? Is it expensive? And how passionate am I about this idea? Because there's no way that you're going to be able to drive that innovation idea through all of the roadblocks you'll eventually encounter if you're not really passionate about it. And so then you go through. You can see here this is a fictional um, assessment of a triage tool. So on the left we've got a mailbox, which is the current process. Everyone emails it into a mailbox. So it's simple, it's cheap, it's not really aligned with strategy. And then we've got two potential vendors. 
and different ratings for those different um, aspects. We've gotten the, you've got to get the 14-day free trial of any kind of application that you're testing and give it a real, real bell and see how it works for you. And then you can get some of those other metrics. And then you've got, you could stop here with just the numbers if you wanted to, if you only care about numbers, but then you can also pop it in and see it visually. And I think it gives you a really good way to talk to, uh, to the business to say, if they're saying, well, you know, you've got the mailbox triage, what's wrong with just doing that? Well, yes, we've got that, but it doesn't really align with our strategy and it's not going to save us all of this processing time, which this other tool could save. And so you can assess a couple of ideas side by side. Any questions on spreadsheets? So if you have a bit of a prob... Oh, sorry, was that a... If you have any problems with your testing or prioritisation, just keep looking at it from different angles and see how you can assess it differently. So we've got our testing done. We've done some metrics and we were innovating with intention. And next we're going to try and put all of that thought and energy and passion into a business case. So business cases have been a massive kind of problem for me to try and harness the passion that I have for a particular idea and then put it into a format that people can understand. Now, I don't know if I am... Has anyone ever... Does this mean anything to anybody? I'm not sure if anyone will recognise this. A few smiles, maybe. South Park, no? Okay. Well, so... <laughs> So this is a particular episode from South Park that I realised I had a lot of in common with a few months ago. And what this episode is about is the gnomes are there and they go around and they go out at night and they go into people's uh, houses and they steal underpants from people's drawers in their houses at night. And they come back and they bring home this massive pile of underpants, which is great. Um, and why do they do it? Well, they have a very good business case for doing this. They have an extremely detailed business case. Phase one is collect underpants, which they do, and they're really great at it. Phase two, they're not sure. But phase three is profit, which is great. That's a great business case. The problem is, and this is what I'd been doing to people, I was like, hey, I've got this amazing idea. It's great, and I've innovated and, and stuff, and we should just do it. But I was underpants gnoming people because I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't doing the middle step of explaining the value of the idea and how it was going to impact people. So let's not underpants gnomes people. What we need to do is build a business case. And business cases are, uh, I mean, I've struggled to try and understand how, what I need to put into them. So, and I try to have a look around to see what kind of templates that were available. There's lots of great lean business canvases and they're really good, but often I would find myself you know, trying to squeeze things into the different squares. And so I kind of made a different template that, um, that uh, you guys can all download. If you see me in the speaker's corner after you, I've got the RFD tag. You can just scan it and then down. No, it's, it's on the internet. It's pretty old-fashioned. Um, so the new phase one is we've got our ideas. We're innovating with intention. We've prioritised our ideas and we've tested it. We've got our legal metrics. And so then we're going to push those into our business case so that we can kind of win the hearts and minds of the people who need to know about our idea so that we can extract that value and profit, which is either enjoying the fruits of your innovation or maybe literal profit if you're lucky. So now I need... Who will go to the movies with me? With me? Who go to the movies with me? Yeah. Well, yes? <laughs> you don't want to know anything about the movies before you go? <laughs> Will you pay, and you're going to go to the movies and pay for tickets and snacks. 
Really? You're a pushover. You don't want to ask me any questions about... about uh, when are we going? When? You wanted to know when. Okay, when? Anything else? What are we going to see? Yeah. Are we going to go see... What's your favourite type of movie? Okay, so we're going to go see a comedy. Okay. Is that enough information? When? Comedy? Ah, okay, that's a good one. Yes, why do I? Well, because you're going to pay for tickets and snacks. That's the main reason why. So um, this is... You would want to see the trailer before you see a movie generally, right? Unless you really trust me and you know me and I've got a really good, you know, a really good sense of comedy movies. Um, so a business case is like the trailer for your innovation movie. You're trying to think of all the things that you would want to know about a movie before you would go to see it. You want to see those in your business case. And let's keep that metaphor going because the people who are involved is going to be the stars of your innovation movie. You need to get those people in there and really explain that in the business case. Who's involved? Is it going to get off the ground? Um, is this actually going to happen? And most importantly is down the bottom that whiffy, the what's in it for you. So when you are asking about what genre a movie is, it's like, am I going to cry? Am I going to laugh? Am I going to be thrilled? Is it going to be amazing? And it's the same thing for a business case. How is this particular innovation idea going to help me to meet my KPIs or help me to meet the company strategy? So... One of my amazing colleagues, Bruce Hardy, I think he spoke at the Tech Fest last year. Whenever you're pitching or talking about your business case or your innovation idea, you have to assume that no one has any time to read what, you've, what you're talking about and that no one cares. I'm sure that they do care a little bit, but honestly, none of us have any time and, and none of us have that much time to care, but we have to make people care to try and cut through. So quickly, just on the business case, um, we've got, you can see down the bottom here is our, these are the stars of the innovation movie, project involvement. The purpose is really trying to align it to the strategy and um, just being really clear on what this actual business case is about. Then we're talking about who's the user of this particular innovation idea or tool, what are the benefits, and we can drag out some of those metrics that we've already done in the testing phase. Then we can get some of our visuals in here, get those numbers in if people are um, excited by numbers. And obviously you can tweak this and play with it as much as you want to. And then because we're lawyers, we've got to have some risk and mitigation in there because people are going to be having those in the back of their mind anyway. Uh, what's, the, what's the data security issues? And make sure that you're addressing those in the business case. And so then when we go from the boardroom with our business case, to the elevator where we're trying to have those one-on-one uh, -on -one conversations each time when we're trying to explain our tool. That's one of the hard things. Like, what are you doing all your time? You're innovating. What are you doing? What are you doing over there in the innovation forum? So how do you explain really succinctly what your tool does? This comes from that concept of agile methodology and user stories. So, for example, this tool is an automated legal letter builder for channel managers who want to send performance warning letters to external sales partners so they can quickly and confidently react to poor behaviour. So you have to kind of practice it and get it to roll off the tongue. It's quite, a, it's quite a skill, the elevator pitch. It's not one that I'm very good at, but I think having some kind of sentence that you can say really easily to explain your innovation idea is really useful so that people can understand it. 
Okay, so we've done our testing, we're innovating with intention, we've got our business case, we're not underpants knowing people, and we're ready to roll out. So when we're rolling it out, again, it's about showing the value of the idea so that other people can see it. Has anybody ever been called by a telemarketer? I know they're all going to be automated soon, so that's good news. Now, has anyone ever actually been a telemarketer? Yes, good work, Josh. So I was a telemarketer for a very short amount of time. Uh, like any good Geelong girl, I wanted to go to Gold Coast schoolies after high school, and so I, didn't, I needed some money, and so I got a job as a telemarketer. I hadn't really thought about it for a long time until... Uh, a couple of months ago, I was having a chat with one of my mentors at Telstra, and I was saying, I can't get this idea, I can't get people to take up this idea, I've done, you know, I've tested it, I think it's the right one, and you know, oh, I just can't seem to get anyone to take it up. And she said, it sounds like you need to uh, learn how to do some objection handling. And I was instantly taken back to this little kind of desk as a telemarketer, you've got your headset on, and then up on the up on this, um, the kind of wall in front of you is these different A4 bits of paper with objections and, you, and the script underneath on how to handle all these objections. I'm not interested, I'm too tired. And it was, it was selling gym memberships, so I didn't feel too bad about being a telemarketer selling gym memberships. Um, so I needed to learn how to handle objections again, but in an innovation sense. So when you are handling objections, you're not trying, I'm not saying you need to go out and become telemarketers, but it's about clarifying the value of the innovation idea. And if you are feeling like, oh, I don't want to have to be salesy, I don't want to sell people, then it's try and reframe it so that you are just trying to help people. If you can't you can't help anyone if they don't see the value in your idea. So you do have to learn some of those sales techniques to be able to help people. So um, so you're just mentally preparing those FAQs in your head of the objection handling. So if you have done your testing and your business case and you're trying to roll out and, like me, you're having a real issue with uh, maybe not getting as much take-up as you wanted, maybe people are a bit slow to take it up or they're uh, kind of holding back a little bit, this is a good principle to remember, and it's something that we've experienced at Telstra within the automation stream. Uh, we started out the automation stream, and my colleague Melanie and I were really passionate and excited. We had lots of ideas, and we wanted to cut through uh, to try and get a bit more of a understanding of, so that we could get some ideas through from the rest of the Telstra team. So we did a few things. We did a silly little video where we were like kind of handing over basket cases and dogs breakfasts and saying, do you have an idea that needs fixing? And so we did that video and then we put in our um, email signatures, um, automation, I've got automation coach and Melanie is a massive Harry Potter fan so she's got automa automation wizard. Uh, and then we did another video where we did an automation makeover show in the style of Queer Eye of the Straight Guy and getting your document ready for automation. And then we worked one-on-one -on -one with a lot of teams throughout Telstra and um, took a lot of time and effort to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and help them with their individual projects so that we could uh, really get some good wins on the board. And then that started happening. And then recently, over the last month or so, we uh, put the call out, or maybe two months or so now, 
Um, we put the call out for automation champions throughout Telstra. This was people who would be dedicated and join the team and start automating documents and to come and join us and give us one full day of their time and we'll try and teach them how to automate documents. And we somehow got this, this team happening and people came and learned and we had an amazing day. And, but I don't think we would have gotten to that particular day where we had 15 people from around Australia and one guy from Hong Kong come across and put their faith in us to automate and learn automation if we hadn't done all of those different touches along the way and put in all of those efforts. So if you extrapolate this principle out then and you've got, you've got to touch seven people or interact positively with seven people and you've got 100 people in your company, then that's like quite a lot of positive interactions that we need to have. So don't lose heart if you uh, aren't getting any traction. Just kind of keep reaching out and interact, you know, appropriate work-based touching interactions um, with people before they're going to buy into what you're selling. So we've got now idea. We've got lots of ideas. We've tested them and then we've gone back and we've kind of refined them and we're innovating the right idea. We're really confident that we're innovating the right idea. We've put it into the business case and someone's given us money, which is great, or someone's given us an amazing performance review. That's always nice to have that as a business case as well. And then uh, maybe we've gone back. Maybe we've got a, they said, no, that business case is no good. You need to go back, test it some more, give us some more numbers, back into the business case, and we've rolled it out. So what do we do next? Oh, we go back to the business case. Anyway, what do we do next? That's the time for go back to more ideas, isn't it? We go back and we have some more ideas and we do it all again because that's what we do because we are legal entrepreneurs. So everyone that's here is already a legal entrepreneur. You're trying different things and getting excited by uh, doing things differently and making the world a better place. Uh, so, yeah, I guess just keep going and take hands-on responsibility for those uh, innovation ideas. And, uh, yeah. That's all. Thank you. Does anyone have any questions? Or oh, thank you. Sorry, is there? A... Sorry, I can't hear. Maybe you have to speak into my collarbone. Yeah, uh, we, so we, we did limit our social media kind of videos to uh, the internal legal team because we were calling from the legal team for ideas. I think going out to the wider business would be amazing. I would love to go out to the wider business and ask them for their innovation ideas. But with the, um, with the email signature, that got a lot of comments. Um, people were like, automation coach, automation wizard, what does that mean? What does that mean? So they, they, people definitely did uh, notice it. Yeah, I think it was, um, uh, I mean, yes, we, we knew that we needed to do something in order, something different, because just kind of putting out a post or like, please send us your ideas, it wasn't, it wasn't kind of working. We wanted to do something that was a bit different um, and really engage people to, without them knowing that they were engaged, I guess, and just they would be watching a video and, and yeah. Is there a particular problem that you're struggling with on the...
Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, was, they were, I guess they were our lower-hanging fruit. So we, <laughs> we kind of had a captive audience with all the rest of the lawyers. Everyone's all questioned out after a hectic couple of days. Of course. <clears throat> so we've had a few, um, we've, uh, with 170 lawyers and like lots of different business units, we have different, uh, lots of different tools. In fact, when we did the automation offsite, we had, everyone was supposed to come along and bring an idea. And we had three different lawyers bring novation agreements along to automate, which was, you know, great that we, everyone was excited about automating novation agreements. So a lot of the work we do is self-build where we can. And that's really basic tech with using like DocuSign. Um, but then some of the other more advanced stuff is uh, using particular tools that might have, we've had some templates built for us. And some lawyers are much better at learning the more advanced tools than the others. Uh, so it's a kind of a mixture of both. We've also had a few vendors um, like Exari that have built some tools. Um, yeah, lots, we've had lots of different, lots of mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess for me personally, uh, I feel like we've Tulsa's done an amazing job of getting a lot of the collaboration stuff organised already. So we're on um, Office three six five, and a lot of the collaboration that we do is on uh, OneNote. So that's a really basic, easy way to share documents and share ideas. But then you've also got a lot of other tools within that suite that you can use if you want to step up to more advanced collaboration tools. For me, I'm super passionate about visual contracting and that is something that anyone can do, uh, even just using information design tools in Microsoft Word or really basic, basic, basic tools and have a massive difference. So I'm keen to focus on that over the next few months and have a look at how it can impact readability of contracts, but then also do some actual studies on it and test how it improves uh, understanding of contracts for people with uh, English as a second language. Um, studies are showing that it, they perform equally well. So I'm very excited about doing stuff with that. I know that as a team, as a wider team, we're looking at a lot of matter management um, kind of tech. Uh, but so yeah, visual contracting for me at the moment. I always have a place in my heart for automation though. So, no. um, Telstra certainly, to my mind, been leading the charge in terms of innovation in the legal space. Do you think that's in part due to culture? That's a good question. I think um, I think it is definitely a cultural aspect because we have our general counsel Carmel Mulhern, who is yeah really passionate about doing things differently and doing things um, innovatively. Uh, we also I think it could be definitely culture down to the fact that we have seventy percent uh, I think it's seventy percent women in um, the Telstra legal team. 
So uh, I don't know if that means we're more innovative uh, in general, but uh, that's, that's really, uh, we're kind of used to working flexibly, working from home, working from different office locations because we have the technology that allows us to do that. So that could be part of that culture of innovation and having that collaboration, having lots of access to video conferencing and, and some of those tools that kind of free us up from thinking about those day-to-day -day basic, can I work from home, can I work from here, I can't see people if I can't, you know, having team members in Sydney when I'm based in Melbourne. So a lot of that is part of the culture of innovation, I think, where we have invested in the, that technology. So it allows us to innovate together. But yeah, we often do pretty good at throwing a bit of money at some problems in some instances, which is helpful. Oh, good. No one from Telstra has any questions? <laughs> you know what? Ooh, I feel like I'm going through one um, with. No, not right now. <laughs> but um, <coughs> so at the moment, one, one, of the, one of the issues that well, we've got some um, team members from the Innovation Forum here as well, and triage, online intake for in house legal is a big one. And uh, there was a particular platform that I love and some other people loved it at Telstra as well called Zingtree and just really loved the way that it worked but um, it's hosted on Amazon Web Service and our IT department were not very happy about that. So, uh, so a lot of work that had been put into that kind of had to get shelved and then I kind of had a look at it and I was like, hmm, maybe there's a way we could half use Zingtree as the front end like legal concierge and then we could back end that with SharePoint lists. And so we went to our internal digital enablement team and we had to kind of hand over some money to get them to build a SharePoint list because they're quite difficult to build. I don't know if anyone's an amazing SharePoint builder. It's not me, but they're quite hard to build. And so we built this SharePoint list and then we just like, oh, now, now Telstra's come up with this other way that we can build uh, web forms, which is called Formify, and we can build them ourselves. So we built that and we ended up building all these different web forms at the end of this decision tree. And we're kind of going through this process now where we've got so many web forms and we've got so many decision trees. So we're trying to, that is, I feel like it could be a fail at the moment or it could be, well, maybe we'll fail fast and we'll learn from it and we'll put it up on the wall and be like, Never more than 10 web forms ever again. <laughs> It'll be the lesson from that one. So if that, that one, that would probably be the biggest fail at the moment. Awesome. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Well, thank, you. thank you very much, Verity. That was a fantastic uh, presentation. I very much enjoyed it. Um, the, uh, I certainly have uh, uh, learnt that if the bathroom door is, uh, the, the bathroom handle is wobbly, you have an idea that it needs fixing, there's value in doing that. Um, uh, the next session in here is, I think, starts at 2.20, so you've got a little bit of free time if you're back in here. Uh, I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Checklist Legal. For show notes for this and other episodes, head to checklistlegal.com forward slash podcast.